Amen. Returning together this evening in God's Word to the Gospel of John and to the chapter 3. The Gospel of John and the chapter 3. If you're familiar with your Bible, I'm sure you're familiar with John chapter 3. George Whitfield, he preached over 300 times from John chapter 3. Mr. Spurgeon, he preached at least once a year from John chapter 3. And John chapter 3, of course, contains the fundamental truth of the gospel. And so we're going to come to it afresh this evening, and we're reading together from the first verse. John 3 and the verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know. And testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then moving down the chapter to the verse 30, and just to read this short verse together, He must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Amen. Let us look together in the Gospel of John and the chapter 3. The Gospel of John and the chapter 3, 
And this evening in our gospel meeting, I entitle my message, Three Musts of John 3. The Three Musts of John 3. And I want to draw your attention to three different verses. If you look there at the verse 7, you will see the first time that must appears. And the Lord said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Then look down to verse 14, and you have the second must in John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then in verse 30, actually here you'll see the word must on two occasions, but the second occurrence is in italics. And it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. The three musts of John chapter 3. Let's just unite in prayer and ask the Lord for help as we come to consider his word together. Our gracious, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this thy day. And we rejoice, O God, in thy precious truth that is before us. And we pray that to each one we would have that spiritual appetite, that desire for the things of God. Give to us a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. And even out of thy word tonight, our Father, do be our teacher and do be our instructor. And may all that is said and done be God-honoring and God-glorifying, we ask these things in the Savior's great name. Amen. One of the simplest words to understand in the English language is the word must. We would all be familiar with that word this evening. And we know that when we use the word must, there's no getting around that word. Because the word must speaks about an absolute necessity. And it speaks about that which is absolutely essential. And we have already noticed there in John chapter 3 that there are three musts. And therefore, it would speak about three necessities. Three things that are absolutely essential essential. Whenever you use the word must, it is not referring to something that is just desirable. When you use the word must, it's not referring to something that is an option. It's optionable. No. It is a requirement. It is something that is imperative. And this word must is used by the Lord Jesus Christ often, and most especially with reference to the great work that he accomplished for us through his incarnation. And you could perhaps remember the time in the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 2, and the Lord Jesus Christ was just a young boy. And it's the only account that we have of his childhood 
And as the 12-year-old, he was traveling with his parents uh, to Jerusalem for the feast. And after they had observed the feast there in Jerusalem, they were returning. And his parents presumed that he was in their company, and they went a day's journey from Jerusalem, supposing him to be in the company. Then they came to that realization, he's not with us. He's not in the company. And it took them three further days to find him. And when they found him, he was there in the temple in Jerusalem, and he was sitting amongst the learned men and the doctors, and he was hearing them, and he was asking them questions. And when Mary and Joseph got to him, and they probably weren't uh, too pleased that they had spent all their time looking, and the Savior answered, and he said, Wist ye not that I must I must be about my father's business. And even as a young boy, the Lord showed the great necessity that he must be about his father's business, the business that he came into this world in order to perform, the great mission of the Savior. And also the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 9, the Lord was later speaking to his disciples. And in Luke chapter 9 and the verse 22, he was saying, The Son of Man must, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. He was teaching his disciples this is an absolute necessity. It's a must. It's a must. When you come to the passage of Scripture that we have been reading this evening, John chapter 3, that's, of course, one of the outstanding chapters in the whole Word of God because it contains fundamental truths. You could go wrong in different parts of Scripture and you could still be saved and you could still get to heaven, but if you go wrong in John chapter 3, you're doomed. And so it is a most important chapter in God's Word. It affects the destiny of your soul in eternity. And therefore, whenever you come to John chapter 3 and you come across that word must, you do well to pause there. For it's teaching us that it is something that is a necessity. Something that is absolutely essential, something that is a requirement, something that we cannot get around, something that we cannot dodge, the three musts of John 3. And I want us just to take a moment or two on each one of them this evening. I want to start with verse 14. In verse 14, we have the must of sacrifice. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The must of sacrifice. 
From the very words of the Savior, here is the must of Calvary. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, he must die upon the cross of Calvary. The absolute necessity of Christ's death. For the soul to be saved, there was no other way but the Savior had to die. Here we can see that absolute essential. That the work that the Savior accomplished when he was nailed to the tree was something that was a necessity. It was planned in the divine counsels of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decreed. They planned that way for the soul to be saved. And it meant that the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, he had to come into this world. He who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, And yet he made himself of no reputation and he humbled himself and he took upon him the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of men. And as part of that great plan of redemption, the Lord Jesus Christ would suffer and he would be slain upon the cross of Calvary as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Do you know it would have been possible for some of those that heard the Lord Jesus Christ speak about being lifted up that they could have misunderstood what the Lord meant by that? They could have thought that here is the Savior and he's coming and he's going to be lifted up upon a throne and he's going to take uh, control. He's going to set up his earthly kingdom. He's going to be lifted up in power. But it was a very different lifting up. It was as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Those words lifted up are repeated In John chapter 8 and the verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He. When you've lifted up the Son of Man. That expression is repeated in John chapter 12 and in the verse 32. The Savior said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And three times there the Savior spoke about being lifted up. But here in John 12 and the very next verse, it explains exactly what that lifting up would involve. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The lifting up of the Lord Jesus Christ was being lifted up in death where the Lord Jesus Christ would be nailed to the accursed tree. And we can see here that the Lord was teaching Nicodemus that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That death that was planned in eternity past in the councils of the eternal Godhead. He was the Lamb slain 
from before the foundation of the world. That death of the Lord Jesus Christ that had been promised even from uh, the earliest time of creation, the book of Genesis and the chapter 3, where you have that proto-evangel, what promise did God give to Adam and Eve before driving them from the garden? And the little child can answer from their catechism the promise of a saviour. The seed of the woman that would come, that would bruise the serpent's head. That which was planned, that which was promised, that which was prophesied off, it was as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That, of course, is detailed in Numbers chapter 21, where there the Israelites in the wilderness as they sinned against the Lord. The Lord sent fiery serpents in amongst them. Those who were bitten by the fiery serpents were dying, and hundreds of people were dying. When Moses cried to God, God gave a remedy. And Moses was told Take a serpent and make that serpent out of brass and put that serpent upon a pole and lift the serpent up in the midst of the camp. And any Israelites who have been bitten have only to look to the serpent of brass and they will live. The Lord here in speaking to Nicodemus, he refers back to Numbers 21. And he refers back to Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And he said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the Savior would be lifted up upon that accursed tree. His hands would be kneeled. His feet would be kneeled. And the Lord Jesus Christ would suffer and shed his precious blood and die. Even so must The Son of Man be lifted up. It's the must of sacrifice. But look with me in John 3 and the verse 7. And that's the must of salvation. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And on the basis of Christ's atoning death on Calvary, the sinner can be saved, and the sinner must be saved. Ye must be born again. The heart of man requires that new birth. Naturally, we're born in sin, and we're shapen in iniquity. And the natural condition of our heart is a depraved heart. The heart of man is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked, and therefore the heart of man necessitates the new birth. And when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we accept him as our own and personal Savior, and we're born again, and we're born of the Spirit, we're given a new heart. We're given a new spirit. And the heart of man requires such a change. That's why the Lord said to Nicodemus, you must, you must be born again. Heaven also requires it. Not that defileth can enter into heaven. 
There's going to be no sin in heaven. And therefore, when we know the sinfulness of our own hearts, we know that there has to be a change. And we know that it's a must. It's absolute uh, essential. It's an absolute necessity. We must be born again. Forever going to be fitted for heaven, that change has to take place. It's not just an, an outward reformation. It's not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just trying to, to do better in the future. That's not what the Lord was saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus had all that. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a Pharisee. But the Lord still said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. And so it's not just going through religious practices and religious ceremonies and religious services. It's not coming by way of mere attendance at a place of worship. It's not being baptized or confirmed or being received into the church or taking communion in the church. Salvation is something that's far greater than all of that. Salvation is nothing short of being born again. It's a spiritual birth. And when an individual repents of their sin and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ and their sins are cleansed and washed away in the precious blood of the Lamb and they have experienced that new birth, then and only then are they ready for heaven. You must be born again. The must of salvation. It's called here being born again. We're referring to it as salvation. J.C. Ryle would compare all those different expressions in the New Testament that refer to that necessity. In Acts 3 and the verse 19, it's spoken of as conversion. Repent and be converted. And we need to be converted. As Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 and the verse 17, he speaks about being made a new creature. And he says, And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, that is, a new creation. Ephesians 2 and the verse 1, Paul refers to being quickened. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Paul wrote to the Colossians and he spoke about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. As he wrote to Titus in chapter 3 and the verse 5, he speaks about the washing of regeneration. 1 Peter 2 and the verse 9, he describes it as being called out of darkness. In 1 John 3 and the verse 14, it's passing from death onto life. All of these different expressions are referring to one and the same thing. They all relate to that same truth. That ye must, ye must be born again. Acts 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, we must be saved. Even a man like Nicodemus, 
a man who was religious, a man who was a Pharisee, a man who was a ruler amongst the Jews. And the Lord said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You may be religious, Nicodemus, but you're not saved. Nicodemus seemed to be a respectable individual. He would certainly have been looked up to in society. And whenever he did come by night to approach the Lord Jesus Christ, he called him rabbi. He was respectful to the Savior. And he said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And so Nicodemus, by his very approach to the Lord, we could see that he was a respectable individual, but he was not saved. We learn from the passage that he was rich, but he was not saved. The Lord was saying to Nicodemus that there's a must here, Nicodemus, that you cannot dodge. There's a must that you cannot get around. You must be born again. And everyone that is born of Adam's line, it applies to each one. The must of salvation. You must be born again. Then I want you to come to that third verse that we made reference to. It's John 3 and the verse 30. It's the third time that that word must appears in the chapter. And it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And we call that the must of sanctification. And the words here in this verse of Scripture belong to John the Baptist. As we indicated earlier, the verse actually contains the word must twice, but the second time it's in italics, and therefore it wasn't in the original. It's inserted there to help our understanding of the verse. But the word must is there. He must increase. And if we were to paraphrase the words of John the Baptist here, it's he must grow greater and greater and I less and less. The one who is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying of the Savior, he must increase, but I must decrease. That must in sanctification speaks about humility. I must decrease. The decrease of self. Christianity involves the sacrifice of self, the I. I must be crucified with Christ. That little chorus that the boys and girls would learn, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And the believer does not live on to themselves, but they live on to the Lord. And with humility of heart, they come before the Lord and they acknowledge that he must increase, but I must decrease. The humble heart. God resisteth the proud, remember, but he giveth grace to the humble. The must of sanctification, it speaks of humility. And it speaks, of course, of holiness, he must increase. 
And John the Baptist speaking about his own heart and his own life and he's saying of the Savior, he must grow greater and greater and I less and less. He must increase but I must decrease and an increase of the Lord Jesus Christ will be a greater freedom from the dominion of sin. That sin will no longer have dominion over us. And the more that Christ increases and the more that he grows within our hearts and within our lives, there's a drawing closer to the Savior. And we would become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We would die daily unto sin and we would live unto righteousness and that our lives would be conformed more and more to the image of God's dear Son. And child of God, it's a must. Sanctification and holiness it's not an optional extra. We said that at the beginning. It's the word must. It's something that's absolutely essential. And therefore, the greater sense of the Lord's presence with us every day in fellowship and in communion with him and knowing more and more of our Lord and Savior to grow in grace and in the knowledge of him to understand his word and his way and his will for our lives. He must increase, but I must decrease. Do we know the Lord better and better every day? Are we making that progress in our Christian lives every day? Are we in pursuit of holiness after our Lord and Savior? There's a must here of sanctification and it speaks of humility and it speaks of holiness and it speaks of honor. Honoring the Lord. The one who loved us. The one who saved us by his grace. Then we would want to say he must increase. All the honor. All the glory. And all the praise belong unto the Lord. We want to magnify, we want to exalt his precious name. He must increase, but I must decrease. The three musts of John 3, the must of his sacrifice, the must of salvation, and the must of sanctification. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts this evening.